TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. He was doing some interviews yesterday. None will be as good as the one we're going to do in 15 minutes, though. Never. And he talked about his idea to change the regular season schedule in college football and the college football playoff. And he said that only Power 5 schools should play one another and there should be some sort of rating system like there is in college basketball to determine who gets into a potential tournament, if you will, expanding the playoff. Now, I don't hate the idea of eliminating some of these games that are just meaningless, especially in the SEC, that, you know, week towards the end of the season where it's just a joke. Uh, I don't need to see those games. Uh, There have been some unbelievable upsets, though, that have come out of games like that. Yeah. Uh, so the potential of that going away is... Almost had one uh, at the beginning of the season last year, Tennessee and, uh, oh, man, the team that knocked off Michigan a few years back. Appalachian State. Appalachian State, thank you. So you have those those types of games that are that are a lot of fun. Now, if they they went away, the potential of those, those games, I, I don't think it would crush college football, but it is nice from time to time to have the potential of that upset. Uh, the, the issue that I would have, I guess, is this, and he didn't elaborate on it at least... Uh, yesterday as much, but this rating system that he's talking about, because then we're getting to, I guess he's referring to a college football RPI, right? if you will. Right. Um, but isn't that then getting dangerously close to what we all hated prior BCS, to? BCS, yes. Strength yes. of schedule and all that. Uh, so. and, and, and it can get a little messy, and what bothered me about the BCS, you beat a team early on, and then that team goes on a precipitous slide. You have to carry that team's baggage with you the entire season. So that matchup in which you won the game doesn't look as solid or stellar down the road. So uh, uh, how much weight does it really carry? And maybe you're the source of that team falling apart. Yeah. I, but the biggest point that came out of this, and, and, and we'll ask him, is it sounds like to me that he just doesn't like the way things are determined right now with the committee. Because you don't come up with some sort of rating system or have that idea, you toss it out there if you really believed in what the committee was doing. Am I? Is that too much of a leap? Well, I, I believe he, he believes, like I and others, that it should be expanded. And you know, but he, you know, he's correct. There are games. You just said it. There, there are games where there really isn't any interest. I was looking at the early schedule the other day uh, for some of these SEC teams, and blah, blah, blah. I mean, nothing really to. to, to Get you excited about, and I I understand that sometimes you you, you schedule these type of teams because you want to uh, roll into the season and use those as as preseason games essentially, and then get into bigger contests. But you know Alabama, Florida State, they're not just rolling into the season; they're playing right there at the beginning of the of the season. And Atlanta, you had Alabama, USC, that turned out to be uh, not a fair contest. SC got better down the line and, and, and won the Rose Bowl uh, once they, they put Sam Darno on the center. But you, you can find out some things uh, about your team and, and not post a loss uh, by playing 
some you know sisters of the poor as opposed to taking on a juggernaut or, or or one of the big brands in college football. I don't feel terrible about how there is a champion determined in college football right now where I had in the past. Uh, would I like to see six teams, eight teams at the most in a playoff? Sure. I think that that would be a little bit better, and I think that that would make the regular season even more interesting. But I don't think that the fourteen playoff that we have right now is a terrible system. And no. there have been some inconsistencies with the committee, but there hasn't been an instance where I felt like they have screwed up so badly that the team that should have been competing for a championship, it could have eventually been the champion, didn't get a shot at it. In, well, in the, the first, first year years. was a mess. I, I mean, and, 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 and you had TCU and, and Baylor right there. Well, look at Ohio State was in the number four, which is what everybody was disputing, and they won the whole thing. I understand they won the whole thing. It worked out for the committee. and in, in the end, they looked very smart. But the way they arrived at at that uh, decision w- was just terribly wrong. And, 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 and we've seen some stuff here in, in the past where, you know, team doesn't even play, but yet they lose – uh, or, or, or they do play and beat the snot of a team, and then they slide out of the the, the, the fourth slot or the third slot. So uh, it's, it's still being uh, it's still a work in progress. But I ultimately want to see it, see it expanded. Yeah, and I, I think that you may get there eventually. But the, the worst part of sports is when you don't feel like something is is right, where what you're watching isn't right and sometimes I'd get that feeling with the BCS there were times I was like this just doesn't feel right and occasionally I'd get mad at the committee we'd yell at them on those what they used to do it on Tuesdays and Wednesdays we'd yell Uh, you know I I would say this is ridiculous you're inconsistent you're looking one team one way another team the other way you got to be more consistent with this but usually what they arrive at I, I, I never was like man this is really really wrong I mean even in that first year I didn't think it was really 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 wrong so I will ask Saban about that, and I, I don't know how truthful he'll be about it because he's got no reason to, to really open up about his emotions. But you know, something else I'm really curious about is, you know, him dealing with that loss in that national championship game. I mean, how much does it really truly affect him? Because we don't see a Nick Saban who is is down. We see an angry Nick Saban at times. But you don't really see like, oh man, that sucked, Nick Saban. You know, we're like, oh man, I can't believe we lost. Does he reflect? Does he have those? Or does he just really outwardly, you know, all right, fine. Didn't happen. We tried our best. We're moving on. We're going to be great again next year. I, I think you can uh, imagine how he deals with uh, with losses, especially of that magnitude, uh, when you look at him on the sideline during a, a regular season game and, and how demonstrative he can be at times, whether it's with a coach, whether it's with a player, so uh, I, I'm sure this is this loss uh, really bothered him quite a bit, oh, being sure. seconds away from from winning a sixth national title, one with LSU and of course four there at Alabama. So I, I, I'm sure he he mused over it for a while. Yeah, I, I would hope so. He doesn't show like he does, though. You know, you never you never really. Do so you want to know if he went back to the to the hotel room and started throwing stuff? And well, not so much. I could see him throwing stuff. I want to know if he's out on a boat and like sheds a tear while he's fishing <laughs> on the lake. That's what I need to know. Don't save it and cry, man. Come on. He may. We don't know these Come things. Oh, what is wrong with you? We don't know these things. Yeah. I don't know. Should we sneak in a Lane Kiffin question in there? Or is it too, too far removed? Too far removed. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it, though? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. 
Should we ask him if uh, whether or not he's ever met Brandon Chicken? <laughs> that I would not do. Mm. That's one that you can have that one if you'd like to do that one. I'm not going to say that one. <laughs> Wouldn't this be hilarious if Mikey B was trolling us this entire time and then at 8.15 Tiffany's on the line yeah, and not yeah, Nick Saban? Yeah, you guys have done that to me, so it'd be par for the course. Uh, wouldn't mm. that be amazing? That'd be great, Mike. I made sure I looked at the emails, by the way. I went through you, and you I... You said, show me the emails? <laughs> yeah, I did. I'd heard that a lot in the last year or so. Yeah. Show me the emails. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I went and looked through. That's why I was, that's why I was so and confident. So you have, oh, so, I was going to say that. You have confidence in Mikey B. <laughs> that would be funny, though. Mm. Hey, guys. It's Tiffany. <laughs> Tiffany. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> Yeah, I started actually for the first time driving in this morning, I think, just thinking about the Saban interview. I started to really think about football. You know, It's six weeks, I think, of the NFL season. You know, in the summertime, I kind of shut it off a little bit You know, to really get excited about football. And there was uh, Kenneth Dixon, the running back, is going to be out for yeah. the raid. Made me think about mm. fantasy football Already. a little bit. Yeah, I started. So I really actually got a little bit of excitement in there. Uh-oh. I know you. You're, just, you're overly excited. You, you got saving. You got footballs in the air. Why not? You're feeling it. You get on me all the time for being curmudgeonly, and then when I get a little bit excited and happy, then you get on I'm, me for that I'm, too. I'm, what am I supposed I'm, to do? I'm, I'm just bas- emotionless. Would you like to be for me to yes. be emotionless? Yes. Is that what you would like? That's it. All right. No emotions whatsoever. We have never promoted a guest more than we promoted Nick Saban. No joke. So I am praying to the radio Damn, guys. Damn, and you don't pray to the radio guys. Oh, radio guys. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that he joins us next. Follow us on Twitter at Geo and Jones. Alabama head football coach, five-time national champion, Nick Saban. Coach, good morning. Thanks for joining morning. us. How are you? Good. How are you guys doing today? We're doing, doing well. Yeah, we're doing really well. I just want you to know that Brian and I each have an unopened twenty-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola <laughs> in front of us while we do this interview. Just <laughs> I wish I had a big egg sandwich to go with it. <laughs> so uh, I just I think about you and your approach to to every season and coming off of a, a big loss in a national championship game and how long that sticks with you. So when do you eventually, if ever, uh, get over something like that that happened in the national championship game? Well, I don't know that you ever get over it. I, I think that, you know, it was an opportunity lost, and uh, the only way that you can look at it is you have to move ahead, look forward. Um, you've heard me say before, don't waste the failure. Sort of try to figure out, you know, what you could have done better, how you can improve on it, whether it was how you prepared for the game, how you finished the game, uh, things you did well, things you did poorly, and what you need to correct. And hopefully psychologically it, it affects everybody in the organization, makes them a little hungrier in terms of what they want to do in the off season and how they approach this season and the challenges this year's team have. And, and Coach, along those lines, anytime there's an excruciating loss, whether it's a blowout or it's a close one like that in, in the, the ultimate uh, championship game, uh, usually you don't want to see that film. But will you go back and, and splice it up and, and show it to particular guys and, 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 and coach them uh, as far as partic- particular situations that could arise again? Well, we, we, we do that in every game, win or lose. I mean, you know, we're constantly trying to make our team better. So it's not about whether you lost the game, whether you lost on the last play, whether you lost it by a lot, uh, or whether you won it close or won it by a lot. You know, we, we're always going to 
do quality control on the things that we did well, the things we did poorly, the things we need to do better, um, critical errors that we made in the game, strategic planning errors we made as coaches that would have helped us play better. So, you know, the next time we play that team or something similar to that, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll do a little better. So that that's just a part of it. So we always do that. I think the the psychological part of it is, you know, when sometimes when you win games like that, uh, like we did the year before, you get a little more complacent. You're not as willing to make the changes you need to make to uh, actually improve. You know, everybody's got to be able to uh, be self-critical if you're going to improve, and everybody's got to be able to take constructive criticism so you can improve. And in an organization like this, I don't care what we did, how many games we won, we're always trying to improve each individual player and our team. Oh, along those lines, again, Coach, you, you talked about being improving or improving and not being content. And I had a former uh, teammate, Ken Norton Jr., is now the defensive coordinator for the Oakland Raiders, and he used to always say, don't get soft with success. How do you not get soft with all the success you, you, you've amassed, and how do you keep the players from becoming content? Well, I, I think that um, you always look ahead. Uh, I guess the best analogy would be, climbing a mountain you're always looking up uh you're always trying to get to the top not everybody gets to the top very few people who do get to the top stay on top so the moral to that story is is you better keep climbing all the time and um you know this is this is something that we try to emphasize with the players but our approach with our players is not necessarily about outcomes it's more about process of what you have to do to be the best player that you can be um, we don't just do it as a player we do it as a person we do it as a student and we do it as a player so the culture is you know more defined to be successful not necessarily defined by just the outcome but successful being as good as you can be at whatever you choose to do Geo and Jones with Nick Saban across the country on CBS Sports Radio. You've always struck me as someone that is spending every minute of every day trying to be better and continue to remain on top and keep climbing, as you say. Uh, how much time do you allow yourself to relax in the off season? Is there been a stretch where it's been more than just a couple of hours? Oh, yeah, I uh, I've learned through the years that you got you got to take advantage of downtime and. Uh, spend some time with your family because you know during the season in recruiting it doesn't allow for much of that and uh spend some time doing some things that you enjoy so personally so that that's i've learned to do that through the years i can honestly say that maybe 25 years ago i didn't do it very well but i've learned to do that better with age yeah, I think you were heading to a little vacay when we last saw you at uh, Media Days in Birmingham a few weeks ago. So, uh, That's true. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you do during your downtime? What, what do you like to do? Uh, I like to spend time with my family, but I also like to play golf. And every now and then we'll go fishing, whether we fly fish in the mountains or, you know, go out in, in our place in Gasparillo and tarpon fish or you know, go in the back bay and fish for snook or whatever. And I mean, we, um, you know, but I, I still think that even when I do these things, it's not like total downtime. You know, there's <laughs> always a little bit of recruiting. There's always a little bit of 
watching film or tape or evaluation of players. But I enjoy that. I, I, I like to have something to do. I just like to be able to get away from it for a little while. If there was one part of your job that you could choose not to do anymore for the rest of your career, what would that be? Well, I, you know, I get asked this question quite a bit, but um, I, I, there, there really isn't any part of it. You know, the part of it I like the best is, you know, recruiting the players and trying to develop the players um, here in the program, personally, academically, and athletically. Um, but then all the other things that go with it, whether it's speaking to alumni groups or media relations or managing staff, um, all those things are very important to being able to do the first two. So um, I, I don't really dislike any of them. Um, it's, I, I guess you just kind of get used to it after a while. Um, so, and as you develop more and more relationships in all these areas, it gets a little bit easier to manage. See, I thought you were going to say weekly press conferences up at the podium <laughs> because I feel like there's at least a four or five times a year we'll play some audio of you getting real fired up over something and it seems like you don't want to be there. That would have been my guess. Well, you know, it's an opportunity to send out a message. It's not necessarily I don't want to be there and um, it's how you choose to send it. <laughs> we know how you choose to send it sometimes. <laughs> it's, it's effective. Yeah, and, and I, I dig it to say the least. Uh, you, you mentioned recruiting, and, and Coach, you recruited all over the country. We talked to you on, on, uh, on signing day this past February, and my question is this, because back when I was playing, the D recruiting would take place from those upperclassmen on the team. Is that still the case, or is it where – these young men just know when you're going to Alabama, we just better fall in line. No, we, we, we do a lot of, um, we have a lot of what we call personal development programs. And, um, we, we do a lot to sort of integrate the guys into what they need to do to, uh, adjust as student athletes in college, just like there's a lot of stuff that you have to do when you go from college to the NFL and, I meet with the players a lot. Uh, we have a couple of sports, a, a psychiatrist, sports psychologist. Um, you know, we have a leadership group on the team. Uh, we're trying to get the players to buy into development. You know, what do I have to do to develop? Don't, don't just think you're going to come right in and play uh, without making a commitment to, um, you know, learning the offense, uh, becoming a complete player at your position. Uh, a lot of people in this day and age are very result oriented. Um, you know, they, they, they sort of mistake, um, you know, goals for outcomes. In other words, receiver wants to catch 50 balls. Well, that's an outcome to me. That's not really a goal. So, um, and they have to understand these are the things you need to do to catch the 50 passes. And that's what we want you to focus on. And that's what we want you to do. So, uh, it's, 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 most guys get it. Most guys understand it. Um, but well, we kind of preempt that in recruiting too. So the players that come here sort of, they're sort of prepared for it. You know, they, I always tell them, you know, I don't want you to commit to Alabama. I want you to commit to all the things we're going to do to help you be successful as a person, as a student, and as a player. And if you're ready to do that, then, you know, come on. So it's <laughs> kind of how we do it. Talking to Nick Saban on Geo and Jones, CBS Sports Radio. What do you think it's like to work for you? Um, look, 
I always try to be fair and honest with uh, everybody in our organization, but I don't po- apologize for being demanding, um, you know, to doing things the right way and to the standard and um, that that we need them to be done. And, um, you know, sometimes people um, get a little, I don't know, offended or whatever if they get confronted when they're not doing what they're supposed to do but i don't know how else you do it you do that with players so you have to do it with everybody in the organization and everybody's got to understand that and expect it and it's not personal it's just this is this is the way we do it here and this is how it needs to get done and i personally you know when i work for bill belichick i that's how he did it you know he defined the expectation and the standard and you had to be responsible and accountable to it and that's kind of how we do it, but I actually like that because you always knew exactly what was expected and you always knew exactly um, what would happen if you didn't do it the right way. So, you know, it's, I can't speak for everybody that works for me, but just from a leadership perspective, that's what I try to do, and I think a lot of people get it. Maybe there's a few that don't. <laughs> Yeah, there's coach, been a few. <laughs> yeah, coach, your approach, is it a direct result of how you were coached as a player? Um, well, yeah, I think everything that I do, I basically learned someplace else from somebody else. And I had some really good mentors through the years and started with my college coach, Don James, who was very much like I just spoke. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he was – you know, well-organized, defined the expectation. Everybody had to be accountable to it. Players, coaches, it didn't matter. And he's very well-organized and was a very successful coach. And so when I started out in this business, that's how I thought it should be. And I realized as I grew up in the profession, it wasn't always that way everywhere. So, uh, but I said, if I ever got the opportunity, that's how I'd kind of make it. So, and... Um, it, it, you don't have to be disrespectful to people when you when you do what I just said, but um, there's some people that are afraid to ever tell someone. Um, no one should be offended. If if every if everybody's goal is to be the best, uh, to win, uh, and get everybody in the organization being the best version of themselves then everybody should want to do what they have to do to be able to do that. They shouldn't be offended if they're corrected. Um, you know, I've told coaches before, you know, if I correct them, they get all upset, but you know, they dog cuss their players like it's nothing. And I'm saying, <laughs> I'm saying, I don't think you could play for yourself. <laughs> could you play for you? Yeah, I could play for me. <laughs> You mentioned Belichick before. Have you ever seen this guy happier? He was in Nantucket Magazine sitting in a field yeah. with with Linda smiling and modeling. I mean, I think this guy found his happy place. Well, I, I don't think that um, – look, I think – I don't think Bill's been unhappy in his life. Um, <laughs> if you know him well and you know him behind the scenes, um, I, I think sometimes the image you project to the public – for probably strategic reasons, maybe a little bit different than, you know, the person inside. Um, So, you know, I've never, ever known 
Bill or been concerned about Bill being unhappy. Mm-hmm. I think he's very serious about what he does, and he's pretty intense about trying to get it the way he wants it. And he's been real successful at doing that. And I don't, I don't see anything wrong with that. Now, the image sometimes that it projects, you know, leads people like you all to think that, you know, the guy's some kind of Tiller the Hunt or something. But <laughs> I mean, he, he, he doesn't like that at all. <laughs> so, but anyway, I, I, I'm not really like you all think either. So, Well, who is but, the Nick Saban that we don't know then? Well... I mean, you have to come and find out. <laughs> okay, how much time will we have with you if we come and find yeah. out? Well, just a little bit. <laughs> I saw my man Marcus Spears, a former player there at LSU, he was driving you around. See, like you guys were having a good time. So, uh, can can we come and drive you around and, and get to know you a little better? Well, see, that's somebody who knows me, right? All right, and people who know me and play for me and all that are are a little different in terms of their perspective than other folks. So, um, you know, but anyway, it is what it is. You know, your blind spot is kind of what, how you perceive yourself relative to what everybody else perceives you. So, you know, and my wife tells me mine's as big as a Grand Canyon. So <laughs> I got it. I get it. I got the feeling that you don't give a damn though. Uh, I care about what she thinks, but I, right. I wouldn't want. Yeah, but no, I mean the rest of us. Yeah, her, of course. Well, I, you know, I res- I try to treat people right and respect them, and you know, I just um, I, I don't spend a lot of time worrying about what everybody else thinks. If I'm think I'm doing the right thing and being fair and honest, um, I, maybe they just don't understand. <laughs> Did it take you a while to get to that point as well, or has that been something you've been good at? Not really caring about the perception or what people think of you no i i think it takes a while i think you know when you get criticized fairly and unfairly you know eventually you sort of sift through and don't really listen or read much about the good things and you don't really listen or get affected much about the bad things and because really as a leader in an organization you, you can't be affected by those things to make decisions that um may not be the best for your organization but you're you're emotionally affected by what somebody else thinks or says so that's that's a dangerous place to get yeah it is uh let me ask you real quick about your your quarterback jalen hurts uh of course a fantastic year last year as a true freshman uh, what are some of the th- uh, areas you wanted him to work on heading into the offseason in the spring Right. Well, I think the big thing in the off season was to try to develop him as a more efficient, effective passer, and he's done a really nice job of that. Um, you know, last year uh, we made plays in the passing game, but probably not as consistently as we'd like. And it wasn't really Jalen was a freshman. Uh, we were a little risk aversive in how we developed him. Um, but at the end of the day, um, that that's what we would like to see him be able to do better so that we can utilize some of the other skilled players on our team a little better. And I think he realized that, and I think he bought in and worked hard and has really made a lot of improvement this offseason. Just another minute with Nick Saban. Chuck Knoll famously said, if you think about retirement, you're already retired. Do you ever think about life after football and what that would be like? Uh, Not really. i you know, I kind of think more about I've always been a part of a team since I was nine years old. 
can't really imagine myself not being a part of a team uh, doing something um, that has some impact and effect on helping people be successful. I enjoy that, and God willing, as long as I am healthy and can do it, I'd like to continue to do it. <laughs> Who are some of the, the new faces that you, you feel will emerge as leaders of this year's team? Well, I, th- I still think that's yet to be determined, especially probably more on defense and offense. You know, we have more returning players on offense than we do on defense. And most of the leadership, we had seven guys drafted off our defense last year. So a lot of guys to replace, um, capable players, but how they assume those roles. And some of those roles are guys that need to step up and, you know, affect other people in a positive way and, um, take command of you know what's going on and that's something that um, is probably yet to be determined you know Brian was invited to one of the college football playoff committee meetings is there any message you want him to relay <laughs> on your behalf while he's there no not really I'm, 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 I need to get in some political turmoil here <laughs> oh Bill Hancock he's a good friend of the show no no political uh, rankering or anything like that, Coach. <laughs> no, he does a great job. He does a good job, and the system has created a lot of interest, so it's all good. Okay, well, let's follow up on, on uh, what you proposed, and everyone's uh, all up in arms about it. It's a bridge too far. I actually like the fact that you want Power 5 teams playing Power 5 teams, but the rub is, and I always say this, Coach, about big-time college sports, whether it's football or basketball, if you, you're looking for that socialism that you hear on the political scene, look no further than big-time college football or basketball because that's where it lives. And those programs, the lesser programs that usually subsidize their programs by playing big, iconic brands like yours, they will be hurt uh, if we go to this model that you're proposing. Are you at all concerned with that? Well, I, I think that it would actually give us a better opportunity to determine who the best teams were because it'd be more like intersectional type games. So it's really hard to determine um, the competitive balance between one conference and another. And the assumption is is they're all the same. And that's probably not exactly right. Um, strength of schedule has huge deviation uh, in college football, you know, right now. And I don't know how you can sort of calibrate that uh, effectively and correctly. So, um, you know, I, I, look, I'm an old NFL guy. So um, and I'm talking about for the fans, um, you know, for the people in the program, I think you could get in the playoffs, and just because you lose one game doesn't mean you would be out of it. Uh, sort of like the NFL, the Giants lost six games a few years ago and won Super Bowl. So, um, you know, you play better competition all the time. Um, I think players would be more interested. Um, so, I, you know, just uh, – uh, look, it's not worth talking about because nobody's ever going to do it. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't give up just yet. I'm with you. I'll get out there and promote it with you. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, hey, I got a staff meeting I got to go to. I appreciate your time. Good talking to you, and uh, I'll, uh, I'll I'll hope to see you somewhere down the road. Okay. Thanks, Coach. Absolutely. It's, it was right. our pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. There goes uh, Nick Saban. So can't yeah, we... give up on it just yet, right? Come on. <laughs>
<laughs> as soon as it said, I'll be out there with you, promoting it with you, he goes, I got to go. <laughs> Doesn't want to hang out with you. I didn't say I was hanging out with you. I said, I'll be out there promoting oh, that said, particular with, philosophy it was with, for you. It was, it was with you, I think, that well, changed his yeah, mind. Okay, whatever. Well, that was a long time that we had Nick Saban. It was good. To, you know, you get Nick Saban, you got to keep him. You got to keep him as long as possible until he wants to hang up on you, which was which was good. What end up being like seventeen minutes or something like that? Twenty two. Twenty two minutes. On at Fifteen. It's wow. I lost track of time. Yeah, look at that. Twenty two minutes. Yeah, take oh, that. You were enthralled. You lost track, man. You were. I you was were excited man. about it. So was it everything that you dreamt yeah. of it being? Yeah, just about. It was pretty oh, good. Okay. Cool. It was no worse than I thought it was yeah. going to be. I mean, it's not like he dropped some unbelievable Nick Saban bomb on us out of nowhere. Mm. It would have made news everywhere, but I wasn't expecting that. Uh, there was one little bomb that Bill Belichick is not who you think he is. <laughs> yeah. I thought that <laughs> stuff was the most, <laughs> the most interesting. Like, admitting that you know this stuff that I do and my persona right. with the media is nothing like who I really am, and the same with well, Belichick. Of course it's not. And, and the fact that it does have an effect on you at some point, you have to – Get to a stage in your life where you say, the hell with that. I, I got to be true to who I am and not worry about what everyone else is thinking. And that's something you would think every human being has to go through, whether you're a head football coach or you're not. You, know, you have some other walk in life. You, 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 this, you, this thing is about, it's a journey, and, and part of that journey is figuring out who the hell you are, what makes you tick, and what things are you going to allow to dictate who you become. Andrew Bogish is here. He's been patiently waiting to give everybody the sports news of last night and this morning. And here he is. Hello, Bogish. Hey, guys. Good to see you. Uh, Texas Rangers GM John Daniels reportedly began telling teams Monday that you, Darvish, was available for the right price. <laughs> you then allowed 10 runs on nine hits over three and two-thirds last night against the Marlins. Damn! The Marlins scored 12 <laughs> more times the last four off backup catcher Drew Nicholas. You Darvish said, I ain't going nowhere. <laughs> I'm not good. Uh, the 22 the 10 final in Arlington is a Miami single game record for offense and the most combined run scored in a game this season. Rangers third baseman Adrian Beltre had three hits, giving him 2,996 for his career, but did not get a last at bat because he was ejected in the eighth for not standing in the on-deck circle. This second bear umpire came down, and he told me I need to move. And I tell Gary, I have no problem, but I want to get hit. I've been hit when I stand over there. So he goes, well, I don't care. You need to be on top of the mat. Uh, okay, so I pulled the mat where I was at. And he threw me out. Second base umpire, <laughs> Jerry Davis. And that's Davis. what happened. Don't if, touch the mat. If you Just haven't like seen that. it, I mean, he, he literally picks up the Rangers decal, moves it five feet to the yeah. left. And Jerry Davis <laughs> says, you can leave now. You were being too cute. Bryce Harper ejected in the eighth. The Nats 8-5 defeat of the Brewers, losing his mind at home plate umpire Chris Siegel. But manager Dusty Baker doesn't mind. I'd rather have a guy that plays with emotion than a guy that, that plays with no emotions. You know, I mean, I'll take that guy every day. The Nats are placing Steven Strasburg on the DL with the forearm issues that cut short Sunday's start. They think he'll miss just one turn of the rotation. The Dodgers rallied past the Twins 6-5. The Padres topped the Mets 6-3. And the Cardinals, a three-game sweep of the Rockies 10-5. Colorado has acquired Phillies reliever Pat Neshek for three minor leaguers. The Cubs got an 8-3 win at the White Sox. Cleveland 10, Anaheim 4. And the Royals pounded the Tigers 16-2. Eight straight wins for KC but still a game and a half behind the Indians, who have won six straight. And U.S. Soccer won the Gold Cup 2-1 
over Jamaica last night. Jordan Morris, the game winner in the 88th minute. Thanks, Bogish. We'll come right back, react to the Saban interview, and uh, give you a couple other stories that are out there, including one of Brian's worst nightmare. Greg Giannotti, Brian Jones on CBS Sports Radio. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Monterey Park. California? Is in California. Yeah. There's a man arrested there. Mm, what do he do? Well, he took um, king cobras. Oh! And he put them inside of Pringle cans mm. to smuggle them, and he was caught. He was bringing them into the country? Yeah. From Mexico, I'm assuming. Ugh. They have king cobras in Mexico? Uh, Damn. Cobras were two feet long and hidden inside the... Potato chip canisters. Uh, do you have chips on top of them? <laughs> I don't think so. I think you had to take all the chips out. How, did, how the hell do you think you're going to get away with that? Uh, snakes are your... Uh, don't, I don't even want to look at it. They have pictures of it? Yeah. No, I don't want to see that! Well, look. Just see the... Look at this. See? Ah, I don't want to see that either. Oh, shit! <laughs> <laughs> you get so close to... But, I mean, there's, a, there's this one picture of this guy with gloves... Oh. Hopping the top of this. Can you imagine being TSA and seeing that our customs official? And then there's this. What? Just curled up in the can. Oh, maybe me, you're making my skin crawl. Mm, mm, mm. So what we decided to do is bring in a snake right now. You can have the guy come in. Boy, I would beat you to death. <laughs> I would beat you to death. You want to call your mama right now? <laughs> You better it's not. Okay, bring them in. Yeah, inside the can, you can go get them. It's I, I'm not I, afraid. I, I will be owning CBS uh, Sports. Radio. I'm not. I'm not afraid. <laughs> yeah, you're. Not. <laughs> we'll Don't bring you in. Do it. Bring in the snake. Don't do yeah. it. <laughs> Don't play. Quit playing. All right. Well, that uh, that Nick Saban interview will be up on our podcast page at some point soon. Mikey B is done with our meeting after the show, and then. Oh, Billy's on it now. Oh, little Jack alone. Oh, He's getting Jack it done. Alone. Benjamin Button. Getting it done for us. It'll be up there. Geoandjones.com slash audio. I think the most interesting stuff was, as I mentioned before, you know, his persona that he shows is, you know, a lot of those things that he does up at the podium is to to get a point across. He uses that as a vehicle to, you know, get his agenda, if you yeah. will, out there. And, you know, he really is. A happy dude who yeah, likes to relax. Of course he is. Even though it doesn't seem like it. And, and, and you, you talk to some of his former players, as I have, and he's cool. He has a sense of humor. Yes, he coaches us hard, but he gives you that positive reinforcement, and that's the balance you have to have. And and, and, and so, uh, you know, the persona we see, we're not there. We're not with him on a daily basis or a couple of days a week. So we only see one side of it, and and. That's the way it should be because we're not playing for him or we're not part of his administration or staff. Uh, so you're only going to get one one look at the, the man and, and then that persona and perception lives on. You see him screaming and yelling at players. Well, hell, that's football coaching. That's what yeah. it's supposed to be. I thought it was funny when he said that when he yells at his coaches, they get upset about it. Mm-hmm. And then he says, well, you've been dog cussing your players, right. so I don't think that you could play for you. Yeah. 
There's so. a, a, a great story about him getting on one of his coaches who's no longer there, and, and, the, and the coach is just upset and, and, and was done with it. And, and, and he said, oh, I can't believe you're being so sensitive. And all that. So he coaches everyone hard. Yeah. He, he holds everyone accountable from the, the players, the, the staff, even uh, the administration, I mean, up to the athletic director and president. He even said that he admitted that when you win a championship, sometimes you come back the next year and, and there's, you know, across the board, people are less active in trying to make things better because mm-hmm. you're the champions. Right. And then when you have that sour taste in your mouth, it's a little bit easier to do so. In general, you wouldn't get an admission like that. I mean, we would say that, you know, because it makes sense. But, you know, from a coach, you usually don't hear that. Um, but it's it's honest. It's true. Well, I mean, there, there's there's credence to the the saying, and I, I've I've been repeating it ever since Ken Norton Jr. said it to me as a freshman at UCLA, and UCLA is going to Rose Bowl after Rose Bowl, winning all these Rose Bowls, and he said, "Don't get soft with success." Now I don't I've never inquired where he heard that first, but it stuck with me. You can't get soft with success, and and, and if there's a team that lives that, it's Alabama. And then those guys, uh, they go there, and they, they don't want to let Nick Saban down. They don't want to let themselves down. They don't want to let those who came before them down. And, but it's easier said than done. It's difficult to live up there at the top of that mountain coach was talking about. It is so extremely difficult. Everyone's shooting at you. And, and, and you're bringing in new faces each and every year. And, and so you've got to now coach those cats up after spending the last two or three years coaching up the last batch. USA Today was stalking Hugh Freeze, and they got him to say a couple things. Finally? He was... What did he say? I'm sorry. No. Uh, tell Barbie I'll be back on the horn soon. But, <laughs> no, no, oh, no, no. He was cleaning up brush at his house. Oh, well, that's what you do, man. And USA Today was out there camping out, and he said, quote, God is good even in difficult times. Mm-hmm. Wonderful wife and family, mm-hmm. and that's my priority. Sticking with them. Of course yeah. they are. And... When he was asked, is your family standing by him? He said, oh, gosh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So those were the first Hugh Freeze mm-hmm. words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he says he's going he's gonna to clean a little brush, take his daughters to volleyball practice, and go see his pastor. There you go. <laughs> I mean, this is insane. He he wore a baseball cap, T-shirt, and shorts while cleaning brushes at home. I mean. He's going to be in a hazmat suit trying to cover up everything. Right. Like he he was wearing nipple tassels. Oh, grow. Oh. What do you think he's going to (laughs) do? He's going to join the village people. (laughs) They asked him, what are you going to do? What's on your plate? He goes, the girls have volleyball and I'll watch them. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to meet with my pastor tonight, too. So that was his agenda for the day. Hugh Freeze. And as of right now. At 8.45 and 14 seconds. 8.54, you mean. 8, sorry, 54. I'm Mm -hmm. dyslexic a little Mm -hmm. bit sometimes. 54. Yep. I no longer care about Hugh Freeze. That's it. It's done. Bye, Hugh. See you, man. See you. Thanks to Nick Saban. Yeah! The real Nick Saban. Mikey B, who got the big fish. Nick Saban. PDB, Bogish, and Jagalone. Talk to you tomorrow. Gino and Joe on CBS Sports Radio. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love. 
hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.